Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. So maybe I'll start with um, a couple of announcements as they are in my mind now. Um, so yeah, really good technique to slow down, especially in the, in the walking uh, practice if you feel like it. Um, so in the walking practice, you can slow down and you don't have to. So, you know, it's, um, sometimes we might feel like a kind of a pre social pressure <laughs> of the particular culture, like, oh, I'm supposed to be going super slow, and actually I'm just there, like, losing balance and getting irritated. So use the, the, the speed that uh, will, um, you know, support presence, mindfulness. That, that would be, like, the kind of the way to see what is the... What's the right uh, speed? Um, and slowing down is, uh, in general, is a, is a good instruction. You know, as you go around, do things. This being said, super slow in community space is, is you know, like super slow serving food <laughs> with a line of 17 people behind. <laughs> Might not be the most appropriate place to, uh, to practice in this way. So... Um, so discernment, uh, sati, mindfulness in the text always comes with, um, with um, sampajanya, uh, clear seeing, clear understanding, clear comprehension. And it's partly uh, one of the definitions of this is uh, understanding the situation we're in. So there's a story at the Inside Meditation Society of somebody who, uh, after sitting many, many months and, you know, slowing down a lot, Got, they got a <coughs> job, that, uh, and their job was to basically uh, lift a, fa uh, a gate, you know, for cars to come in the parking lot <laughs> and lower the gate. And they actually, after one day, they lost their job because they said, you're way too slow. <laughs> you know, the person was coming out of retreat. You know. <laughs> and they're like, no, you actually can't do that job. It's too difficult for you. <laughs> and so... Uh, Yeah, so, uh, so this. Um, uh, yeah, bell ringers, thank you for ringing that thing a few times. Uh, it, it's, it's beautiful, but it's getting very minimalist. So I, I, uh, a few times I've, I've lost, the, I've lost the, the signal. So uh, that would be good. Um, and also on the retreat, often, and you'll see what uh, fits for you, but often we... Uh, invite, uh, well, us, retreatants, to not read nor write during the retreat. Maybe, you know, during the Dharma talk, if you want to jolt down a few notes, uh, fine. But, um, uh, and the idea with this is not like, okay, another rule, policing the space, you know. It's, uh, the idea with this is that um, we are actually trying to not be so conceptual. Huh? We're trying to be uh, in the experience. And uh, in that way, 
you know, reading might be uh, going towards, even if you read a Dharma book, it might be more concepts than needed here at this time. Uh, or um, if you read the novel, then that's like getting out of the present experience. Uh, and so that's kind of a general invitation and see with that what's, uh, what's good for you, what, uh, what, uh, how you want to hold that. Um, yeah, because we really want to actually stay around, stay around. And, uh, and um, you know, in journaling, for example, which is a, might be a very profound and beautiful way to um, bring understanding and healing in the context here, because we're practicing here a particular technique, approach, then maybe we would let this go <coughs> and just stay with the experience. And one of the riches, I think, of, the, of that is that, let's say, like, I'm walking, then I have a great idea for something, I want to write it down. Totally fine, in a way, but one of the kind of edgy practices is to see that great idea arise <laughs> and then disappear. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a great idea. And so then we're coming closer to the experience of uh, losing, you know, of endings, of things escaping, which is very much the nature of reality. You know, that, you know, youth will do that to you if you stay long enough. <laughs> you know, it will escape. And so will health, and so will the others, and the memory at some point, and uh, you know, and the way the other was viewing us. Suddenly, you know, they thought we were it, and then suddenly, like, well, getting a little tired of you, <laughs> you know, and so wow, it crumbles, you know. So that would be one thing about uh, not taking notes you know it would be to see it vanish so and of course we can practice the middle path in that you know and, and do what uh, what we see um, we see fit so i don't want to make this a hard rule you know, like and uh, and for us it shouldn't be like a way now to evaluate others you know ah. <laughs> you know uh it's a way to, to uh, actually uh, define what we're doing. You know. <coughs> yeah, and talking about the, the, the slowness, uh, I think it's, it's a rich practice you know when once we if we're in it it can reveal a lot of things but i i i've seen also i think inside me and i've heard this being described and that how you know we can so easily create selves huh? you know like i'll be walking slowly you know <laughs> this is the new self you know let me promote a new slow walking self <laughs> i don't know if it happens to you or you know is the, you know, the self that suddenly wants to belong, so I'm going to slow down because I really want to belong, you know. 
And so are these. I mean, they, they should be in, at play because they're at play when we're in society. So when we come here, it's a smaller scale, but it's a small-scale society. So all the stuff we have in life, we came here to be able to observe it. So these things, you know, or maybe somebody's like, I don't do slow walking, you know, like defining oneself uh, by being out, you know, I'm the out person. And so all these traps that we lovingly can recognize, you know, really, that's the, oh... Look at that sweetheart. You got caught in that one. <laughs> you know? Uh, I remember doing slow uh, walking like this, and everybody was getting slower by the day with this one uh, Burmese teacher. And, uh, and, you know, we were all walking like this, very slowly. And, and sometimes I would just like, Slowly open the door of my room. Slowly close the door of my... <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> One time, I was, like, really slowly walking. In the, there was a, I could hear somebody in the... Uh, there was a guy who was... I can't remember exactly how it happened, but anyway, the, I think I saw him come in very slowly, and inside the, the bathroom, I could hear, like... <laughs> <laughs> And then the door opened and his pants were down. <laughs> and that provided me for weeks of laughter <laughs> sitting on the cushion. <laughs> so, anyway, we can laugh at ourselves uh, a little bit here. And also, I mean, I'm, I really want to name this so we can actually catch it, you know, like, uh, oh, look at me doing the thing, you know. Um, this, there's many things interesting in that. Also, I find that uh, sometimes, you know, we're uh, will be a kind of. It happened often on the first retreats. We'll come. It's like I don't want to do this. Everybody looks like zombies, you know, and uh, so it's not the experience from the inside. It's the how it looks point of view on life, which is interesting to me. Uh, and slowly, we learn to actually feel from the inside how it how it feels to be present. And so drops the way it looks from the outside and can be freed from, from that. Actually, there was somebody here, I think, last week who was describing this in a group. I think maybe it was this week, in the last few days, and we were describing when I'm actually inside, it's much more interesting than when I'm thinking about how it looks or how people see me. This is stressful. But learning to be in the experience is very different. So maybe I'll talk a little bit about um, uh, the way I see the practice unfold. And um, I keep v- v- kind of verifying if it's if it's uh, if it's it's true that it's unfolding like this, and it keeps being reaffirmed. So uh, you'll see for yourself if it uh, if you recognize this or not. But when we first come to uh, practice or to a retreat, maybe we arrive and we have our ideas, you know. So we're from the world of expectations and preconceived ideas and 
projections of how it might be or should be or could be and and how I could or should feel and or want to feel. So it, it's a lot ideas about stuff, you know. And uh, we're invited to actually pay attention to the immediate experience, the sensory experience. So in this way, we're learning to get out of our ideas, all the value we give to it and the fascination and the way we are kind of enamored slash trapped in these visions. And uh, we start to touch reality. And so here we've been talking about this and spending hours doing this. Uh, the slowing down is part of this. Uh, touching, uh, really feeling, the, the literally the, the touching of the step, uh, the, the touch of the breath. Um, and um, in the same way that... Um, um, or maybe we did. <laughs> I'm getting mixed now about the two retreats in the same location, very close by. But uh, I don't think we did hear the, the four-step breathing exercise. No, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll do it at some point. But um, anyway, besides that, being attentive to the breath, at some point there's an experience there can be with the breath or anything else, cold or anything else an experience of intimacy. Huh? Suddenly it's not, uh, let's take food, you know. Suddenly it's not, um, it's not uh, the generic thing that I'm eating. It's this bite here now, you know. It's not, uh, or tea. It's not like, oh, I'm drinking tea. It's, we get out of the generic idea of tea and suddenly there's this particular taste. So we're coming closer to things, experiences. And uh, same thing with emotions, moods. We're discovering the particular grumpiness that might be there, or the particular flavor of uh, kindness, of friendliness that is in the mind now, or the particular type <coughs> of calm. Is it a contented calm? or an equanimous calm? Uh, is the curiosity colored by joy? Or is the curiosity colored by something else? You know? And you know it's not like another sit. It's sitting now. How does it feel? Huh? So it becomes much more specific. And in this, there's a, there can be a, a richness. The Buddha may be talking about this, uh, talking specifically about mindfulness of, of the body, so these experiences of the senses uh, would use the image of the bottle. He would say, uh, imagine an empty bottle. It's empty, so anything can come in. And so, using this image, this very Buddhist image, you would say Mara can come in. Mara is a representation of the afflictive emotions. So the bottle being empty, Mara can easily slide in. And so, having no attention to the body, you know, being not 
the body being infused or the particular experience being infused with presence, then the door is wide open. Worry can come in, longing for something else can come in, feeling like this can come in, positioning oneself, opinion, preferences can come in and create some havoc in the system. And exactly what we're doing here is we're bringing full attention to events, standing, turning, uh, even, uh, uh, you know, spoon coming, (laughs) you know, like the the movement, the, the lightness, the, you know what, at the end of the sit here, for me, uh, I, I work with uh, these wooden sticks that I meet every few weeks, you know, different sizes. So here, this, and even the same stick for a few days, every day, this, every time I lift it up is an opportunity for f- being fully there. Because if I'm half there, like, I'm bored being here, boring job, you know, I've been doing it for 12 years now, you know. But no, it doesn't happen because there's a there's this incredible experience. I'm still surprised now. This is such a strange event. You know, I can't tell you how light it is. Yet, it's heavy also. You know, it's both. There's there's, there's definitely weight, and you know, and then this really strange knocking. You know, that makes this really light sound, but still, something blocks, you know. I'm describing it with words, but it's experience from. And then the dropping it. And then, wah! Material, you know, texture. And then this. Another (laughs) texture, you know. And this saves my life, you know. Because otherwise, the door is wide open. Am I comparing? Am I doing it right, Joseph? Maybe he's a better teacher than me. You know, this and that, you know. No. The fullness of presence gets rid of half of the trouble, (laughs) you know. And so here we're learning to do this, to have like a fullness of presence where it drops away all kinds of concern that we might spend years debating with. No, I'm worth something. You're worth nothing. No, it's, I'm worth something. Ask people and they'll tell you I'm worth something. Like, just feel the cold. You know, feel the cold. Just. <laughs> I know it's a little bit, you know, more nuanced and complex and quick than that. But still, there's definitely something there about the fullness <coughs> of presence. And so, in this way, the Buddha says, it's like the, if the bottle is full, Mara can't come in. If the body is suffused with presence, then, you know, if I'm really hearing the squeaking or scratching or whatever else the train is doing, if I'm really fully with that, you know, there, there's no space for something else. Oh, if I was back home. There's no space for that. This everything is given fully offered to the experience of the, you know, the sounds of the train uh, on the track or something. Um, and so, in in this specific encounter, there is already there something that a lot that can happen in terms of uh, liberation from. Uh, 
you know, compulsive thinking, thinking that happens just because the space is open for it to happen. You know, so filling the space with uh, presence. And then, the step after, which we could refer to as insight, that is, I mean, just saying, just about to talk about it, I, I feel the shaking in my heart. So the step after the specific nature of this event, whatever this one is, you know, this taste, this movement of the body or the arm, there in that encounter, in, in this allowing this thing to be known fully, <coughs> there's the insight that will arise. This event, which is one of the phenomena, uh, this event that has in it the universal characteristics, you know, some, some things have specificity, some things are seen, others are heard, some things are cold, others are warm, some things are crunchy, <laughs> others are smoothie, you know. But all events being thought of or experienced physically, all events have, have in common to be ephemeral, to be maybe dynamic, alive, moving, appearing, disappearing. Uh, appearing, increasing, shaking, you know, uh, vanishing, uh, retracting, coming forward, you know, dyna dynamic. And so, if we are there to experience whatever it is, at some point that characteristic will come forward, will stand out. Ah, the sound of the train arose and passed. The step, the landing of the feet, passed. It completely passed. The I don't know, just for me, the standing here at the end of the sitting, I'm amazed at the million, I mean, I don't know if it's millions I can count, but there's so many um, events, phenomena, impressions, I don't know what, but the the body like this is one thing, and then there's this experience. It's a whole other architecture, a whole other experience. And then there's this thing. And then there's this thing. <laughs> and then there's this thing. And I'm like, God, you know, I could have a heart attack. There's been so many lives <laughs> in a few seconds. You know, there's been so many formations, so many ways to be alive. You know, and then eyes open. There was somebody sitting here a few minutes ago. They're gone. It's amazing. And here's another being. It's so, I mean, it's way up here. You know? And then it started going like this. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, you know? It's gone. You know? And there was a door far, and suddenly, you know, there's a door. I'm joking a little bit, but that's... That's, that's what's happening. And you know, one moment, if we take it um, mentally, one moment this mind is, you know, uh, quiet, attentive, to tingling in the hands, 
and the next minute it has an opinion about something. You know, and the hands are gone, and the, the kind of, you know, there's a new birth, literally. This being is born into something now, you know. I've checked the hand, now I want something else, you know. And now th- I'm, this being is born as impatience, you know, as a bundle of impatience. And in that there's something that can be um, deeply touching, the flickering nature of experience. Uh, I'm looking at Chantal because she knows I, I, I delight in this wor- wor- word. And it's a word that the Buddha used. The Buddha says that this life, this life, a star at dawn, you see it, you don't see it anymore. This life, a star at dawn, a phantom, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a dream. Where is your, or where are your teenage years? When things seem existent, I mean, not they seem, they are existent. They are so existent. And suddenly, they don't exist anymore. Mind states, situations, whatever else, you know. There's a taste, it appears in the mouth. It's so existing, no? While it's there, so there. And then, unavailable, gone. We want to come closer to this because this is going to happen to all our loved ones. They're going to be there, then not there. We're going to see somebody as a friend, and then, boop, for a second, we'll see them as a foe. You know, they're out to get me. You know, they want to hurt me. Flickering like this. I'm good, I'm bad. I'm good. You know? And, uh, and so the Buddha was instructing this, all these things, so we get closer to the ephemeral experiences of existence, so that we can come to terms with this, so that we can relax in this and not hope in fear that this is going to stay, you know. But knowing this is actually passing by. Let me actually be with this, because soon enough it will transform. So this is one of the char- universal characteristics that every uh, phenomena has. And we want to make it stand out. We want to have a direct encounter, high-quality encounter with this. It needs a mind that is stable, because if the mind is jumpy, it's not going to notice. you know. And it's going to be really confused. We're clarifying things here. Uh, Munindraji famous, revered teacher, teacher of teachers. And th- I remember reading here, some somebody here practiced with Munindra? You did. Huh? And uh, some say Munindra, like it's an old friend, I've never met Munindra, but Munindra Ji would say, you know, j- I heard this from Joseph, whose teacher it was, and, and he, I often said that, you'd say, Munindra would say, the thoughts of your mother are not your mother. They're, they're 
ephemeral event happening in the mind. So here we're trying to get that basic level of discernment, which I call basic, but it's very advanced. Like yesterday when we were the exploration on thoughts, we're doing the exploration on thought. I said, think of your shoes. Did you, were you there thinking of your shoes? And then I said, these are not your shoes. This is a thought. <laughs> I took this from my, my friend Anushka, actually my colleague and friend Anushka. Because once I actually was uh, teaching with her, I was sitting next to her and she had us do this exercise. And then I saw my shoes and she said, these are not your shoes. And I was like, no, they are my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew what she was getting at, but I couldn't, you know, I was, I could see the level of confusion. I was like, no, these are really my shoes. And so again, this is a thought. I was like, no, this is my shoes. <laughs> you know? And I think I'm not the only one being confused, you know? So the idea of you is not you. It's an idea. It's a representation. And it's, a, it's, an, it's an ephemeral one. It flickers. But because we're so confused, so agitated, in all kinds of ways, we don't see it disappear and reappear. We just think it's there, and <laughs> you know, I, I look at it, then I don't look at it, and you know, I return to it. But I don't return to it, it appears. When the conditions are right, it's a, it's a mirage that appears, a bubble that appears, and disappears. And if I am not aware of this, I will give it solidity, therefore power, and then I will debate with it. No, I'm not like that, you know. As if I recognize it as a ephemeral, empty thought, then I could, say, I could have compassion instead. Oh, of course, this appears, appearances, it appears. I don't have to fight against it, it doesn't actually exist, except as what it is, a mirage, you know. And so, uh, coming closer to the ephemeral nature of things, it's good we do it now, because life is going to tell us in very, very strong ways later, it's better that we prepare ourselves, you know. So, when it shows, we'll say, ah, oh, I knew, okay, this, this is exactly how I understood the world. I'm not going to have a cultural shock with reality, you know. Oh, no, but I thought this would last. Ah, deluded, you know. Uh, and of course, and I, I do a lot of, I say a lot of of course when I practice. Of course, Pascal. Of course, you know, you have a strong reaction <laughs> about this. Of course, you have an opinion about this. Of course, you didn't notice, that, you know. Accompanying oneself, like not saying I should know or... No, of course, it's not easy for human beings to, you know, understand reality uh, well. And so here we create the conditions to come in a very intimate contact with the rising and falling nature of things, moods, uh, ideas, you know, anything really. Something else will be uh, another characteristic will start to appear that uh, can be extremely I mean, deeply de liberating. These are the insight at the basis of uh, freedom, of liberation. So, 
coming with this will notice in time that not one event, not one phenomena, not one experience will be satisfying in a sustaining way, you know, because they're ephemeral. And so not one thing will solve it. If it was true, no one would be here. We're here because we didn't find complete satisfaction. Because things escape us. And even if they don't, they're still there. We know they might and they will. So we know it's not absolutely reliable. Not, nothing is. And so here, we actually, uh, over the days, discovered this. Oh, I really wanted to walk over there because that was the best space. But now I'm sitting, I think <laughs> I'm sitting here, still not satisfied completely. <laughs> you know. And then I was expecting lunch. I thought at least there's lunch. You know. Then I'm, lunch is finished, and that hasn't solved all my <laughs> problems. You know. And I'm ch- I'm still chasing after the mm. next thought. You know, in these long retreats, sometimes Joseph would say this, you know, he'd been sitting there for months, you know, 12, how many hours a day do we do this, you know? And then he would just say, is the next thought going to do it? Mm-hmm. And suddenly you see the track of thoughts, you know, oh my God, there's been millions of thoughts since I arrived here in September, and this is November, <laughs> and I'm still expecting the next thought to be satisfying, you know, to be that thought. I'm still giving it a lot of value. You know, what, what's the next thought? Oh yeah, I'll take it, give it to me, I'll listen really well, you know. And so here with time we start to notice, oh, okay, moods either, they tend to come and go, you know. This could lead straight to cynicism. <laughs> But that wouldn't be the right unfolding of the practice. The right unfolding of the practice is the opening of the heart. Things escape us. And nothing that I project satisfaction, duration, solidity, permanence on will be that. Wow. And this is true for all human beings. Wow. What an interesting situation to be in. What a strange predicament. How maybe chasing after stuff, maybe I can let that go a bit. It's exhausting and not really leading anywhere. Maybe there's something else. I can stop the chase and actually meet what is there with balance, with care. And maybe this is a better approach. We're not understanding each other. It's like this right now. Instead of, you know, isn't the arising or the appearance of conflict. It's like this. Hard conflict is hard. Can I allow it to be like this? Misunderstanding? (coughs) Maybe in that, relaxing in that, Maybe in that there can be, you know, values that will come forth and forgiveness and understanding and 
some creative way to solve the, the thing. Instead of wanting the conflict to not be and everything, you know, it's actually, ah, that's an arising, that's the formation now, you know. Can I relax into this? And into this, finding resources. Anicca, dukkha. Anicca, impermanence of all phenomena. To know this deeply, bring the greatest happiness, which is peace. This is a chant that uh, is chanted a lot in Burma. So deep knowledge of anicca, the ephemeral uh, nature of phenomena. And dukkha, dukkha is this, uh, this incapacity, in incapacity for things to satisfy. That's a feature of any uh, event, experience, thing. You know. And coming to terms with this, having an insight into that, is liberating, liberates the heart that keeps looking for and projecting on things satisfaction. You know. Can be, if you don't do this for yourself, become aware of this for yourself, do this for the other. It's going to be really relieving for the other. You know. Uh, when I met you, I thought you were going to be satisfying. <laughs> and, you know, and I got together with you, expecting, you know, satisfaction. And you're a little bit dissatisfying for me. <laughs> I'm disappointed. <laughs> I think you should be satisfying. So get your shit together. Because, <laughs> you know, I expect satisfaction. And you're not providing. <laughs> Cannot. Not possible. You know, can be really uh, freeing to, uh, you know, enter a relationship knowing actually... It's not going to be perfectly satisfying, but it's worth going there and seeing how, how we can meet in the, you know, the conditional world, in the, in the shaky world. How can, how can there be a meeting? How can there be a, you know, a, a caring? Ajahn Cha talks about um, two kinds of dukkha. The dukkha that leads to more dukkha. So the, if you use the word suffering, sometimes it's used, I don't think it's quite accurate, but suffering leading to more suffering, or the dukkha that leads out of suffering. So one dukkha leads to more dukkha, and one dukkha leads out of dukkha. Do you know what is the difference? It's the quality of the encounter. So, if you meet something that is uh, difficult to be with or doesn't provide satisfaction, pay attention. Not paying attention will multiply the disappointment, stress, resentment. Meeting it with care and wisdom will uh, clarify that. Oh, of course, it couldn't satisfy. So it will prepare us 
to meet the next dukkha wisely. You know? So I could easily not want this thing to happen, but if it is happening, <coughs> let me learn, let me uh, let this be an opportunity so I can learn how to hold uh, stuff that doesn't satisfy, because there's, be, there's going to be more opportunities and more <coughs> situations, you know, that are going to be, you know, either uncomfortable or Vedana, talking about uh, feeling tone today, you know, unpleasant. So dukkha leading to more dukkha and dukkha leading out of dukkha. How is it met? Is really <coughs> the difference. I remember seeing a play one time, an English uh, play, English humor. What was the name of the company, theater company? Forced Entertainment, I think it was called. <laughs> and so, you know how in the, in the arts there is kind of research made about what is what, what is the meaning of this. And so in this, this company was doing, and we would say, research around entertainment. What is entertaining and what is not? So they were kind of trying to draw the line, you know, where's the edge of entertainment, you know, which I think is an extremely interesting question. And of course, we might all have different uh, experience of this, views of this and edge, you know, no, I don't find this entertain entertaining, I do, etc. So in this play that was go actually going on forever, which was one way to explore, like, how long is thi are things entertaining? You know? <laughs> like, some people like to have see a play that is an hour and ten minutes, you know. Some people, oh, no, three hours with an, uh, an intermission. And sometimes you have a play, you know, it's a seven-hour play. Like, oh, you know, but you... Did I see a play here from the... Wasn't there a Shakespeare from, uh, from uh, the Netherlands uh, that I saw last year? It came to Montreal. It was all the... Um, you know, uh, Richard III and all the kings. And it was the war room. It was an amazing play. I think it was from, uh, the director was uh, from here. You know, and that and it was amazing. It was four hours play. And so anyway, back to Force Entertainment. So their play was, I don't know how long, but hours and hours. And uh, at some point you could see people leave. The <laughs> <laughs> so they were playing with this edge, but also other edge. So they... So they so one of the many things they did was, uh, was uh, at some point somebody comes to stage. It was at the beginning of the play, actually, or show. And this person says, um, you know, we're here to entertain you. We want you to have a good night. So please do not think about anything that is disturbing for you. Don't think about any of this. We're really here to have fun tonight, and it's entertainment tonight. So, for example, don't think about... Um, <laughs> you know, the, this is, uh, the theater here is in the district of the city where there's the most uh, stolen car in Canada. <laughs> so don't think about this if you came in a car. You know, d please don't think about this. And uh, don't think about, and then they started, and it was going on and on. I swear, <laughs> for 20 minutes, they were making an exhaustive 
list of everything that is painful in life. From the most subtle, you know, when you're in an elevator with people you don't know and it's a little too tight, do not think about this. <laughs> you know, and, and they were talking about disease and, and all, they were everything. And you could see people leaving, being, <laughs> being really insulted. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, oh my God, they have to be Buddhists. <laughs> you know, to actually n know so much about dukkha and uh, name it, you know. But then after I was thinking, actually, no. They were just naming what was unpleasant. They, they were, it was not exhaustive at all, because in, uh, in, the, in the, the way the Buddha describes dukkha, he also includes what is pleasant, <coughs> because what is pleasant passes. And what is pleasant, sometimes we don't know if we're going to have access to it again. So sometimes we're meeting the pleasantness, and we're a little afraid, you know, uh, and so it's stressful, or you know, we have a, I don't know, you have a, a child, you know, that you love dearly, and it's dukkha, it's dukkha. Parents, I think, know this. Mm -hmm. It's dukkha because you don't know if this child will be safe. You know, it's extreme dukkha. You know, although you say <coughs> thing the most important in your life and. And all of this, it's also shaky, you know. And, uh, yeah, so, so every experience is dukkha. Not that there's not beauty, meaning, uh, enjoyment, gratification. It's really there in the experience. But there's something in the fabric of this reality that uh, won't provide. That's the, what the teachings say. And knowing this can be liberating. It's almost, uh, not almost, it's exactly like uh, aligning oneself with reality. You know, instead of, you know, expecting another reality and being confused, but, you know, or making it personal. It's about me, like, life is against me. You know, like turning it, like, kind of in a, you know, narcissic way, in a way, you know, like, life is against me. No, this is how it is. The way it was liberating for me was the first time I sat at a retreat, there was a presentation on the f this, what we call often the first noble truth of Dukkha. And I remember the, the way the monk was explaining this, saying, you know, from the words of the Buddha, separation from what is, uh, we, we love is difficult. Being with what we don't love is difficult. Uh, you know, birth is difficult. A disease, aging, death are difficult. Uh, and explaining it as this is the nature of reality. I remember uh, how relieving it was for me. It was I had the kind of sense that it was always my fault that things were not turning right. You know, somehow, like some kind of vague sense that I was the problem, you know, or that it shouldn't have happened like this, you know, it should have been flowing, my belief that things should have been easy, flowing. And then I was always kind of shocked and surprised that it wasn't. And learning this was, oh, this is how it is. And I had the chance for uh, uh, 
many, many years to have a partner who was also uh, practicing. And so together, uh, I mean, coming from him a lot, you know, things would reveal their uh, changing nature as we, you know, didn't expect somehow, you know, and he would just say, Anicca. <laughs> you <laughs> would just say like, like, like this, or sometimes would say like, I would be like, oh, I can't, you know, find the right key or something. It was like, <laughs> you know, just kind of uh, remembering, hey, things are in order. Huh? They're not, they're meant to, you know, they're meant to be a little, uh, you know, in French we have this word bancal, you know, when a, a chair has a leg that is not mm-hmm. fitting with the, I don't know if you have that in Dutch, if you had the chance to have such a word. <laughs> or in English, I've never found the exact word. But uh, that's kind of the nature of reality, actually. Dukkha, in, in a way, is uh, it, uh, the, the image that was used at the time, or what it could meant, was that uh, you had a wheel on a cart, and the, what is the, this piece that goes in the wheel, the axle, or the, was not fitting exactly, so you would be going on your <laughs> chariot or cart, you know, and, the, and, the, and so this was the, description of the nature of reality from the Buddha. And so it's, in, it's a particular view, huh? Because you know, you could be in somewhere else doing another workshop and people would you can be perfectly happy and you can have everything you want. And you don't. Oh, give me more money and it w- I will arrange it. Or, you know, I'll show you. And you will still not. And I'll let you know subtly that it's your fault. <laughs> you know? And so here is a particular view. We're saying, actually, no, there will be death. There will be disease. There will be the encounter with what is hard to bear. You know, it's part of the experience. Uh, And so how do we meet this then? You know, so here, this structure, this design, this experiment, I think has all of this in there. You know, what will be the next dukkha? It's probably right here now, <coughs> you know, if you want this talk to, to never end, <laughs> then it will end. If you want it to end, it seems like it's not ending, <laughs> you know, or being in a body, you know. And so how can this lead to the opening of the heart? So mysterious that this insight, deep insight, could lead to joy, to peace, to balance of mind, to compassion for sure. And maybe I'll finish with this. Uh, Zenju Earthlin uh, Manuel is a, an American teacher. Uh, she has a book called The Way of Tenderness. The Way of Tenderness. Beautiful book. Uh, and she talks in it about uh, meeting in a very, very intimate way, dukkha, uh, in, this, in a wise way. And uh, I think from the get-go, I think just in the intro, if I remember well, she mentioned, there was an expression, she mentioned that uh, it was kind of a transmission. When I read it, it really, the, the expression touched me and it gave a twist to my, my practice that is still very, very much there. Um, and she was talking about meeting the difficulties of life 
you know, instead of with reactivity, with fear, with meeting the, the, what is painful and the grief and the, you know, confusing and the meeting it with complete tenderness. And I remember when I said that grouping of complete tenderness, like complete, complete tenderness, not some tenderness, you know, but complete tenderness, there was a, it appeared to me almost as a koan. How is that possible? Like a question that one would answer in action. You know, so it became, yeah, a koan, complete tenderness. I want to see if it's possible to bring complete tenderness to the different events of life. And so in a way, that could describe my practice, you know, and, uh, and, and uh, it's messy, you know, <laughs> I can't claim success <laughs> at this point, but definitely I'm on a path, you know, and uh, tenderness arises in places where it was not before, and there's many areas where it doesn't reach yet, you know, reactivity takes over, and, uh, and uh, you know, rigidity of mind and all this. For her, I find it particularly inspiring in thinking if she can do that, there's hope for somebody like me because she's describing this from a very um, a, a difficult place. Um, I mean, made difficult by society. It doesn't have to be, I think. But she's describing it from uh, intersectionality, if you know this, uh, what this means. She's describing the pain of being... Uh, so she's practicing Zen in uh, an environment, kind of male, white, male, white, straight, male, dominated. You know, that, does that sound like life? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm laughing, but uh, she describes this from the point of view of, um, of a queer black woman trying to practice in a setup where... Uh, a lot of what is happening is, uh, I'll put this in my word, but is um, kind of subtly or not subtly at all letting her know that she has less value, you know, that she counts less in subtle ways and very overt ways. You know. And uh, when addressing this with her teachers, uh, maybe because of their place of privilege, and unconsciousness, they uh, would say, no, like, we're all one, let, you know, they're kind of suggesting bypass, bypassing, you know, we're all equal. We're all equal, but we're not treated equally, you know. And so for her, uh, being in an environment that, uh, where she's not reflected, her experience is not reflected uh, by the, the teachers, you know, uh, uh, the, the difficulty, the dukkha of this, of m even being in a spiritual environment that doesn't recognize your, your, the particularities of your existence and washes it, like white washes it, you know. Uh, and so the answer she found, and I invite you to read the book, her book, and listen to her talks and go sit uh, with her, uh, was complete tenderness complete tenderness towards that experience. 
And to me it's quite remarkable that somebody could have such clarity uh, and, and, and be, uh, uh, you know, made invisible in so many ways or disempowered in so many ways and uh, be able to, uh, to h- hold the space of deep wisdom, of complete uh, tenderness. And so, you know, I, w- I was talking yesterday about the river, or this morning, I think, about the river experience uh, with my partner, you know, when the suddenly it changed uh, the view, change. So complete tenderness. So you're in an environment where you're supposed to be welcome, but suddenly uh, heterosexual dominancy comes and reaffirms itself. You know, we own this river just because majority or pow- power, you know. And uh, the people doing what they were doing, the, the men doing what they were doing, were probably having really uh, pleasant feeling tones, you know, owning the space, you know, and making it clear, uh, you know, that you were tolerated, but certainly not allowed to display uh, joy or, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, uh, some kind of uh, special bonding, you know, or uh, something like this, you know. And, uh, and so, for me, it happens often, you know, I'll be walking with my partner in the city and we'll see heterosexual couple maybe holding hands and I know that we have to decide are we doing it's not free for us you know it, we have to take a stand if we do it and we might receive back a kind of like you know not normal you know not normal you know and so how could I bring complete tenderness to this these are just a couple of examples here, but uh, there's many out there. And so, um, you know, as a, you know, if you live with chronic pain, disability, if you uh, if you um, if you express gender in a way that is not, uh, n- uh, you know, normalized or acceptable to the dominant group if you there's so many ways that uh, uh, you know there there will be a feeling of oppression you know um, i mean even uh, if you're in the top privilege as a white heterosexual man there's also performance there's the you know the kind of like keeping with the boys and uh, and the you know toxicity of the masculinity that is very can be very limiting. Not allowed to feel so much. You know, need to provide, uh, need to explain. <laughs> you know, and uh, and uh, I'm talking about. You know, this is a white male sitting here. You know, so, so the, this uh, is also at play here. So this, but in any way, you know, I'm I'm talking now about some social issues which are extremely dharmic, dharma, you know, because the dharma is suffering and the end of suffering. So if we stay on the kind of personal inner level and don't address these areas, then we're deluded. Then we're not practicing fullness of dharma. We're, it's like kind of kindergarten 
new agey stuff, you know. We're, we're, we're invited to go a little further with, uh, with this stuff and recognize the dukkha everywhere it is, how we create it as groups, you know, when we're dominant in some ways, you know, as white folks, as uh, straight folks, as, uh, you know, as abled bodies, you know, those of us who have, uh, you know, are able to move in all kinds of ways, you know, how we are, you know, can create spaces where people will feel not welcome because of their... And so, dukkha. This is, I'm finishing with another kind of uh, dukkha that needs to be uh, seen. Is at play here in so many ways, you know. So we want to be awake to that thing, too. It takes courage. It takes stability of mind, otherwise we fall into confusion and guilt and, you know, and complete tenderness and, you know, some kind of a very balanced responsibility. Oh, I'm participating in some ways in these things. Let's uh, sit just for a few moments here and see what's, uh, what's in the heart. May we find uh, deep care, acceptance and freedom in a, in a challenging world. And may we uh, offer protection and visibility to, uh, to all beings. May all beings be able to contribute and shine and feel safe. May all beings be free. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Bon appétit. I hope this will be completely satisfying. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.